Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. We have found out some really exciting news last night after the vice presidential debate. Okay, to share the news with us. Kamala Harris is such a badass and such a feminist icon hero that she can't even deal with marshmallow Mike Pence for 90 minutes without feeling victimized. There was just so much mansplaining, Julie. How could any girl put up with it? And you know he was manspreading behind that plexiglass. Oh, he too. was mansplaining and manspreading. But, but but we're going to talk about the debate. But before, I have two very important public service announcements. And I want you all to listen very closely what I'm about to tell you. The first one and the most important. If you decide to get a facelift... You also need to get a neck lift. You cannot get one without the other because you will lift your face, but your neck will still be wrinkly. So again, if you're thinking about getting some cosmetic surgery, you need to make sure that you also make arrangements for your neck. That's just a public service announcement from Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. And now my second public service announcement is that 1984 is a better album than 5150. Okay. Lies. Okay, lies. <laughs> fake news. Lies. Fake, fake Van Halen news. But All I'm right. glad you brought that up. Let's let's have a little virtual toast on Happy Hour to okay. one of the greatest of all right time. Now. To Eddie Van, Van Halen. Halen. Rest in peace, my man. My, one of my early rock and roll crushes, as I'm sure most. Yes. Uh, hold age. on a second. Hold on a second. Yes. I'm taping. What? Oh. Okay. Because I know it's gonna be an hour once you get going. No, I am going. It's literally recording right now. Okay, they're in now. Are they? Yeah. Okay. They're in. All right, thank you. Okay. Okay, I'm not kidding. That was Ace asking me how to use the blender. He's like, how do you get those little things in? Oh God. That's that happened. Anyway, well, I'll edit this out. Okay. So, <laughs> lovely. He goes, no, but once you start taping, I'm like, I am taping. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, so um, now, Julie, let's talk about the debate. What should we talk about first? Well, I mean, let's think what has transpired in the week since we recorded our first, our podcast last week which was last Thursday afternoon. The president got diagnosed with COVID, was helicoptered to Walter Reed on Friday. Uh, The White House and the medical staff at Walter Reed couldn't get their act together. There was some misinformation coming out of the White House. That was a debacle. Um, Why anyone at the White House thinks they can trust the press to even talk on background or off the record, I don't know. Bad idea. Uh, He gets released on Monday. Uh, then he's compared to Juan Perón, Evita Perón, right. which one? One of the Perones. One of them. On the balcony for daring to wave, you know, without a mask on, uh, records a few videos where he's looking good. And then we had the vice presidential debate Wednesday night. Wow. And I know other shit happened in between. We got more declassification, more confirmation that the Russian collusion hoax was concocted by Hillary Clinton to obscure the bad news coming out of her, the email hacks, et cetera. So how do we do it? It's crazy that the news cycle is on hyperspeed. It it, it doesn't it seem like forever when Trump was like diagnosed with coronavirus it yes. seems like six months ago and then when he was in the hospital and it just seems like so long ago but it was really just not even a week ago that that happened I mean really it's just nonstop. it's exhausting um, it's exhausting we're gonna miss it someday though right Maybe. it's like running around with Probably toddlers sooner rather no, than that's later a lie. That's a lie. You never want to run around, ever go back and run around with toddlers. So this is sort of the same idea. It's the same. 
So let's talk, Liz, about the vice presidential debate, uh, which is Wednesday. Liz and I are recording on Thursday. Um, what are your takeaways, aside from your very solid advice about facelifts? Because, and honestly, I want a neck lift before a facelift, but that's just me. But you have to do them together. You cannot do one without the other. And obviously, Ms. Harris or Senator Kamala, she disappeared for a while. She obviously had some work done. It's like, just get it all done. If you can do a lot of that outpatient now, there's no reason to cut corners. Okay. I'm just, I think it's important. So to the debate. So the first thing I noticed about the debate was just, an epic level of virtue signaling with those idiot partitions. Okay. Mm. Do you think that the virus doesn't like move around like, or, you know, it, 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 the, the virus is not confined. I, I don't know why they did it. They all tested negative. So it's just, it's just so stupid, but they had these partitions between them. Um, because I guess, they want to show that they care. It's, you know what it, Julie, you know what it, this shit reminds me of the masks and the, the masks in really stupid situations. And the, the partitions is like, remember the, the ribbons that everyone used to wear? Like there'd be like mm-hmm. a different color ribbon for the different causes. You could show how virtuous you were, but you would wear like all the ribbon, like the red ribbon for AIDS. There was different color ribbons. I lost track. Right. Um, that's what it, that's kind of what it's like. So, we had the partition. We need a song. Oh, we do. You know what? We are that's what, the <laughs> that's world in a mask. We need a Corona. Well, you could say that all that stupid Zoom music that people are doing, um, the musicians are doing their Zoom recordings together for the for the first responders. So that could be that could be the song. But, the first responders who we hate now. By yeah. The way. That exactly. So. <laughs> I thought Pence was going in at a disadvantage because Kamala was a woman and the media, first of all, Kamala was always going to win. So we know Kamala won before it happened. Kamala won. But anytime Pence wanted to respond or refute her or argue with her, they were going to say that he was like a man. He was being a man. He was mansplaining. He was aggressive. Um, And that, we shouldn't be surprised to see that it's just very disingenuous because it, it sends a mixed message about being a woman, which is that you're too fragile, you know, to engage in a, in a discourse with a man, but then also that's not the messages the feminists give, right? The women right. are just like men, but they can't have a political debate with them because it's with too much. Mike Pence, with Mike, with Mike Pence, Pence the, 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 the man who will not be alone with another woman like unless his wife is there that milk toast Mike like you can't manage him how are you going to take on you know Kim Jong-un or whoever is alive at the time if you're president there were a lot of lies um and I felt that the moderator was not good um I don't understand why the moderators don't come prepared with um you know, evidence or knowledge to be able to kind of refute the the things that these candidates are saying that are false. And she did not do that at all, even though Kamala said many of the mythology, you know, the, the traditional Democrat mythology, the good people on both sides. She didn't say that I, that has, was false. She didn't say when Kamala said that, you know, Trump didn't care that the Russians have a bounty on the troops head. That's been debunked. Susan Page did not point that out. There were definitely instances. And you know, she didn't impress Kamala Harris and say, why won't you answer yes or no if you are going to pack the court? You know, mm-hmm. so that was one thing. Julie, what are your thoughts? Um, I thought Mike Pence did very well. I think his demeanor is welcome. It you know, compared to Donald Trump and Joe Biden's and certainly Kamala Harris. So I thought his demeanor and approach was refreshing, I guess. And I I mean, you and I are not the biggest Mike Pence fans, but I thought he performed well. 
I think that he, in a way, does defend the president's record even better than the president does because the president will just go off on these riffs and Pence is very focused and matter of fact. So I thought he did a good job. I think there were some missed opportunities. I She brought up Russian collusion at one point. I really would like to have seen him hit that out of the park in terms of not just Joe Biden's cl- working with the DNC and John Brennan, et cetera, in 2016 to concoct this phony Russian collusion hoax. But also, she is the senator who sits on the Senate Judiciary Committee. She helped perpetuate the lie about Russian collusion. She gave no oversight to the Department of Justice or FBI uh, or the Robert Mueller investigation. I really would like to have seen him press her on that because, as we know, this is a very important issue to the base, and we're very frustrated that nothing has been done, um, not just criminally, but uh, you know, publicly held the Biden people responsible for their involvement so but overall i think it, he he definitely won quote unquote won the debate but um now what happened after that is the announcement that we got which is tell our oh, listener yeah so this morning without consulting either one of the campaigns ahead of time the presidential debate commission has decided that the next debate will be virtual. And Trump immediately was, I think he was in the middle of an interview on Fox Business with Maria Bartiromo. And he just was like, nah, bro. Nah. (laughs) I I don't blame him. I don't blame him for a couple reasons. I think the first reason is that a virtual debate is just not, I guess, not as intimate and not as, um, you know, an opportunity to see how the candidates interact. But also, this is a town hall. So people will be asking questions. So I think part of it is the rapport that people will have that the candidates will have with, with their questioners. But another the other problem is that Joe Biden is a cheater. And he is constantly using a um he probably has an earpiece in most of the time. He also has a teleprompter with answers. There's no way to make sure that Biden isn't reading off a teleprompter during during this debate if it's going right. to be virtual. I mean, unless the agreement is they go in basically a, a room with that's like a giant Faraday cage and there's no people in there. There's nothing but a monitor. And, you know, I, I don't know this. It, if Trump tests negative for the virus in time for the debate. I don't see why he can't do the debate. He's already, and according to the White House uh, statement on Wednesday, he's already showing antibodies. So he would be clear of any way to be contagious or infect others. According to the science, really, he already is. So This is, if anyone saw Joe Biden's brief appearances this week, you would know why. He gave, he looked very fragile on Wednesday. Uh, He did some kind of brief appearance. Reporters shouted a few (laughs) questions to him about Trump, about Trump's medication. Funny, they never asked Biden what he's on, but asked about him. He was very, you were almost waiting for that Hillary Clinton moment where he like falls before he gets in the SUV and they pick him up like a side of beef and toss him in there. He was very, he's very thin and frail looking. And then Tuesday he mixed up the debate uh, locations. He said that if the Cleveland clinic said the guidance was, he would follow the guidance of the Cleveland clinic, which was the site of the September 29th debate. The next debate is in Miami, so he couldn't even get that straight. Look, he's disappearing for large chunks of time. And I understand that it's this flagship platform of the campaign that they're the ones that care about the virus. You know, Trump doesn't care. He's licking doorknobs. He's coughing on kids, (laughs) you know, but not the Biden people. They care. That's okay. All right. Fine. But he could be doing things. But he's not. He could be doing all kinds of virtual things. He could be on all the media shows. He could he could do a reality show following Joe throughout the day as he ta- has <laughs> virtual meetings with people. But what's he doing? 
not, he's just gone. He calls the lid at 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning. Meanwhile, Trump is clawing his way out of Walter Reed, right? Right. He's like literally clawing, trying to break bars to get out so he can get out again and talk to people. And, and it's just amazing. And what when when Trump was in Walter Reed and we had these like vultures in mm-hmm. the press conference just asking absolutely outrageous questions that dealt with Trump's personal private medical condition, which I have to say that I really I, that's a real hot button for me. I I know that he's the president of the United States, but really, is he not entitled to any medical privacy at all? Any medical privacy? What was his temperature? How did he make bowel movements? I was waiting for someone to ask about that. Um, what, what about his lung X-rays? Are you kidding me? It's it was outrageous, and all and then on the cable news shows, they got in their media whore doctors to talk about how Trump is really, he's dying. Of course, that didn't last long because he was like <laughs> doing his drive-by in the, right. in the caravan. So he, he wasn't, and then they were filming videos and then they said, oh, the videos, it's a deep fake or it's a body double, oh all God. this stuff, all of these questions, all of these conversations at night with doctors talking about how Trump has like, I don't know, steroid derangement. Meanwhile, you literally have an Alzheimer's patient (laughs) running on the other ticket and they do not have a single question. And remember, Joe Biden has had two aneurysms, two aneurysms and brain surgery. No one has asked a single question about that. But all the Twitter medical doctors um, on social media, on the cable news are just having these conversations about the details of Trump's health just it's outrageous <clears throat> yes i mean you just explained very well the outrage cycle you think at some point it would end you would think with the president of the united states at walter reed with a virus that could be fatal to him given his age and weight um but otherwise healthy even though you know, 95% of people, more than 95% of people over the age of 70 fully recover from COVID, you would think there would be a pause, but there, there wasn't, there was, you know, the fake prayer emojis by Brian Stelter. And then literally 30 minutes later, they're just ripping. Well, when did he test? And, you know, what's his oxygen level? And, you know, what, what happened to his hair? Like you just said, a whole litany of stupidity that just continues to poison the American people, exhaust them. What about and- all the conversations about how Trump had killed the people that drove him right. into the street to like wave it as at his um, supporters that were outside waving flags? How many hours of co- of discussion do we have about Trump was is is going to kill those secret service agents. They were all wearing masks, by the way. And I, right. I'm almost certain Trump, there's like a partition between the, the driver's seats, the front row, and then the back row. But I don't know. They had masks on. They obviously were the same people that took, I mean, he had to go by helicopter to the hospital. He had to get from the helicopter to the hospital in cars. But it's just this never ending pick, pick, pick over these stupid things. And and people, not people, but some people wonder why, why did the, did the media not have any credibility? Well, I, and we can kind of pivot now to this uh, next segment, which is I was a little worried that Trump would come out of his convalescence being even more paranoid about coronavirus. And, uh, you know, I, I was concerned that he would ratchet up the paranoia rather than do what he did, which is, and of course, this was criticized as well, saying that he fought off the disease, commended our healthcare system, which deserves it, the doctors and nurses, the treatments that are becoming more available that the doctors know work. Um, And so he was triumphant and also encouraging to other in his age group that yes you can get this you could get be detected early you could get the treatment that you need and within a few days you're going to be feeling fine 
that was widely condemned as what boasting. Uh, but at any rate, it's it's vital that the president well, was, and the go ahead. He was criticized for his optimism, basically. Right. How dare you give people they hope? Did not like that message, just like they didn't like the message when um, Bob Woodward's book leaked that the president didn't want to come out and give a press conference on January 28th, screaming and crying. Oh my God, there's a virus. It's going to kill everybody. You know, where Trump was like, we need to keep things calm. Trump comes out. He's like, this is sucks. It's a tough virus, but you can beat it. We've got a bunch of medicine that helps you beat it. You know, he was out of the hospital in what, three days max. That is a message that these people who are invested in keeping everyone shut down don't want you to hear. Well, and you know what else they don't want us to hear, which is going to be one of the big takeaways from this as the postmortem is is conducted on our coronavirus response. You and I have talked about this. How many people died because the experts told us to put these people on ventilators right away? How many people in New York City were basically murdered? Okay, if we're going to say Trump murdered people, then we're going to say Cuomo did in the healthcare system in New York City by putting people immediately on ventilators, ratcheting up. You never hear about ventilators anymore. Who's who's using ventilators for COVID patients? Nobody, because they found out right away that that once you're on intubated, you know you're it's you're in hard. trouble. You're in huge you're in, trouble. Right, and that causes other infections, etc. So <laughs> Trump is going to be. Ex- by more fair-minded historians that his initial reaction was right. So was Anthony Fauci's initial reaction, but they bought into the hysteria. Fauci bought into this publicity fame that he was getting. So he kept, he recognizes now, if he tamps down the paranoia and hysteria, his high profile goes away. So it's great to see the president take a lead on this. He is getting better advice. Um, I talked this week with Dr. Scott Atlas, who is associated with out of Stanford. Stanford has been doing really great research on um, coronavirus. They were there were several early skeptics at Stanford um, who were questioning the lethality of coronavirus, also our treatment um, options or what the early treatment uh, protocol was. So Dr. Atlas, I interviewed him on Monday. I have a piece up at American Greatness on that. Um, He is very realistic about this disease and how we should quickly shift our messaging on this and get our country back to normal. So I think, and he did an interview this week on Fox. I think we have that clip. President Trump follows the science. He listens to people both inside government, public health officials, and he also uh, gets, uh, you know, information from the actual academic science scientists, medical scientists, epidemiologists from places like Harvard and Stanford and Oxford, people, top people in the world. And these people actually agree very much with his strategy, protect the vulnerable as much as he can and open up because of the harms of that. This is a national strategy. The president articulated, he says it all the time, and in the meantime, he's doing a lot of great things like he showed actually as a patient recently, like Operation Warp Speed with new drug development, facilitating uh, the, the record timing of a safe and effective vaccine that we anticipate very soon. And you know, the hospitalizations Atlas, gotta, have gone way second. down. I, yeah, I gotta, I, hospitalizations are way down. Deaths are way down. That's all good news. And the media just refused to report it. They just will not report it because we're going to kill the country off to make sure we have not a single person infected with the virus in the United States. That's their plan. Biden's plan are rolling lockdowns because his advisors have already said that's what we should have done initially is to keep it going. Um, but I have to ask you about this because when, when we see the president come on the balcony and he takes his mask off to do that you know, video, which was, you know, a lot of people love the video. He just got reamed by all the COVID panic squad in the media saying he's a walking uh, vector of disease and a cloud of contagion in the White House and people are dropping like flies. What is your response on the specific issue of the symbol of the mask and the president taking it off? 
Well, listen, the president, uh, he respects the disease. And and I I don't think anyone should think he's minimizing the seriousness of this disease. It's highly dangerous for people in the category of high risk elderly and, uh, you know, people with comorbidities. But, you know, he... He, he's, uh, you know, we're all thrilled actually how well he's doing. I saw him actually earlier this evening. He's, he, it's amazing. The guy is incredibly resilient and that's fantastic. But that does not minimize his concern and he's following all of the, the recommended guidelines for someone who's sick. When he's around people, people enter his area. He has a mask. Everyone else has a mask on. I mean, it's, it's, it's very clear, you know, this is very dangerous for people. When you're symptomatic, mm-hmm. there are certain guidelines to follow and his policy is really the reasonable policy. It's the policy of the NAA, NIA. I just looked it up, which is wear a mask when you cannot socially distance. There's no uh, sort of cavalier attitude whatsoever. But, you know, he's he's he did very well. He's doing very well. And, you know, he, he came home. He took his mask off. He was outside. Yeah. So this is solid scientific advice from Dr. Atlas. There also was a petition uh, created this week by leading epidemiologists um, calling for this protected approach to COVID that would protect high-risk populations, open up the schools, open up the economy. This is what we need to hear. I think the election will largely be a referendum on coronavirus. Who wants to go back to try to go back to where we were seven months ago when we had 15 days to flatten the curve? Who wants to keep these rolling lockdowns going, live in a constant state of panic and fear over a virus that is not threatening or dangerous to most Americans? Well, yes. And I think we know so much more about the virus now than we did back then. And there's no attempt to handle this just as a public health situation. It's political. And so the choices that are being made are clearly not how you would handle just a public health crisis. But it's everything has a political edge to it. So there are people that are invested in keeping the country shut down and as a mechanism of of control. And so now we're seeing the virus is being held out to fear monger and scare scare people into complicity, whether it's getting arrested because you're not wearing a mask and the mask thing with Trump. It was just so over the top. The man was alone. He wasn't near anybody. Why would he need to have a mask on? It's so it's you know what? It's like those articles that where the scientists say, if you're going to have sex, you you should have a mask on. It's just like you clowns. I mean, this is ridiculous. But people were hysterical that he was on his own balcony, not near anybody. He was in the private residence. He took his mask off and waved and people went bananas. It, it's just crazy. You know, you see this a lot with climate. I saw this a lot with climate science and you see that they fixate on some kind of symbol, right? So it's either like an ice cap or a polar bear or a wildfire like Kamala Harris brought up a wildfires on Wednesday night that that's caused by climate, which even the IPCC says is not true. But at any rate, um, they fixate on a symbol, Because they don't want to talk about the underlying science that might refute what their popular narrative is. So when you have the media, Democrats, and even some Republicans obsess about mask use, that takes up all of the interest, all the attention. So we're not hearing that, okay, 99.9% of people under the age of 25, even if they get this, have no symptoms and they survive. And the fatality rate now keeps getting lower as the infection rates or test positive rates go higher, either case fatality rate or infection fatality rate, two different things. But you see that continue to go down. Um, They don't want to talk about that. They want to keep this hysteria going. Right. Right. It's critical to talk about how many people are positive, but not talk about how those people aren't going to the hospital or if they go to the hospital, they're surviving at a, at a greater rate than they were seven months ago with that. That's how you really know this is a political operation and not a public health operation. If it was a public health operation, then we would have people talking about important metrics like 
what is the fatality rate? How is the fatality rate changed? There would be emphasis on uh, on all of the different uh, therapeutics that we have now that we didn't then, that these cocktails that we know to give people. We also know who's more vulnerable. We're not talking about keeping people who are vulnerable safe and letting everybody else go about their business. And that's just that's just a shame because there are the the elitist uh, <clears throat> the coastal elites and the media and academia in our quote institutions wonder why there's no trust in them anymore. And they think it's because, you know, the inbred, stupid Trump people, you know, who are dummies and don't like things like book learning um, <laughs> that they that's because they don't respect knowledge. But these people are not working from knowledge. They're partisan. They have an agenda. And it's very obvious. I think you're right that it's going to be um, the election is going to be a referendum on how we want to continue to move forward and and deal with this virus. But I also think there are a lot of people who are legitimately brainwashed. They are. And it's a lot of people. I mean, and it's a lot of people who otherwise are rational thinking adults who are just remain terrified of this virus. Um, and so it is risky for Trump to come out with this realistic and confident and uplifting message about COVID because people just don't want to hear it. It's also very hard for people to come to terms with the fact that they were wrong. Whether they're experts, of course, we know they'll be the last people to do it. Politicians are just an average American who bought into this, who refused to see what a lot of this was about, which is you're talking about politics. Um, and so it's hard for them now to to face up to what they were hoodwinked about. Well, I do. <clears throat> I do think that's part of it. But I think even more than that is that this is a political operation. It follows the same political operations of climate change and <clears throat> all the same. They trot out their experts at their self-created and credentialed institutions they silence anybody, anybody who would disagree, regardless of their credentials. I mean, the best example I have is that when President Trump said that the flu is more deadly in some age groups than the virus. That's true. That's that right. is true. People who are younger people under the age of 24 have a higher death rate from the flu than they do from coronavirus. That's from the CDC's numbers. But President Trump tweeted that out and these jackoffs at Facebook and Twitter they 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 censored it. Even though it's even though what he said was true. And so it's part of a political operation or really a political movement where you're just going to silent and negate any opposition. There's we're no longer at a place where there's conversation or there's discussion, or there's debate. And even outside of the, this politicized virus, even in the medical community on any issue, there are doctors disagree on stuff. That is not weird. That's why people get a second opinion. And, you know, you broke your leg. What do you do? Do I need a metal plate or should I just have a cast? I don't know. One doctor says one thing and then you go and see another doctor and they say, ah, you know, I think you could do this. This is, this is how science works. It's, it's very iterative. It's dialectical. People disagree. They come to consensus. They disagree again. They have another consensus. This idea that you absolutely shut things down, that is not the mark of scientific inquiry. That is the mark of totalitarianism. Well said. Thank you. Like, I didn't even practice. I just said it. It just came out of me. The muse wow. spoke to me. And I just it spewed did. it. I love that. Forward. True. Um, no, it is the tyranny of scientism that the science is settled, like we saw about climate change. They now did that with coronavirus. Uh, doctors who early on, this, the other emergency room doctors who gave that, who presented that video, um, explaining what they were seeing. YouTube took down that video. Um, Dr. John Ioannidis, who wrote that very first column for Stat News about- I remember that. So against he was again, he wrote against the shutdown, right? That's right. He did. And he kind of foresaw what was 
what was coming, the tragedy that was coming. He did a YouTube video based on that article. YouTube took it down. You can't even access it anymore. It says it violated YouTube's terms of service. This is frightening. This is pure propaganda. This is not science. It's not public health, not anything close to it. It is pure political propaganda. And so, yes, you're right. uh, Trump's tweet about uh, the flu was tagged by by Twitter was flagged by it. But which it's is true. Absurd. It's true. Which to bring a comparison, I've tried to make this comparison with people before between the flu. My mom is a nurse. She hates it because my mom is super brainwashed. But my mom is a nurse. She has every comorbidity. So fine. She's we keep her locked away. She is on a tight leash, you know? She should be. All right. She should be. But that doesn't mean that when you're looking at younger populations, especially when it comes to opening up the schools and to say we don't have tote boards talking about how many kids get the flu or how many kids die from the flu. We don't have a tote board of anything. There are 200. How many people die in this country a year? Something like 250,000 people die a year in this country. And now we're freaking out. Is there a tote board for that? Do we have nightly news conversations about how many people die from breast cancer, prostate cancer or lung disease or heart attacks? Or, or whatever we don't, and that's, and this is being, this is being used almost exclusively as a c- control mechanism, especially when you start having pieces of information and differing opinions memory hold. It's, it's really a shame. I want to believe that people see through this. I want to, I want to say that people realize they're being manipulated. And one thing that um, Trump said. And I think Pence also said it last night was that they trust the people to make the decision for themselves. And that's really Mm -hmm. the crux of it, isn't it? It's like as we get more information, people need to make the best decision based on their circumstances, um, you know, from the information that we do have available. If you have a family, perhaps you have an elderly family member living with you. Maybe they're sick. Maybe you have a, a child that has an immune is immunocompromised or another family member you're around, then yes, you make decisions based on that. But not everybody's in that situation. And then they can make decisions based on their circumstances. There's no, there's only control coming from the Democrats. And it, and, and it, to me, it's just obvious, but no, I don't know if everyone else agrees with me. Well, and the other thing that you're saying is in any kind of diagnosis, medical, scientific, People also consider what the consequences will be. What are the, you know, if you hear any kind of drug advertisement now, right? It has to give a disclaimer about what other symptoms, what what are the other effects, what are the side effects of whatever drug or prescription you or remedy you are going to take. There was no consideration of the side effects by the overwhelming number of so-called experts who were diagnosing how we should remedy, so-called remedy the virus. It was only, we have to do this, who cares what happens, what the consequences are. Now we're seeing the consequences. My daughter just went to high school for the first time on Tuesday since in almost seven months. She walked out of her high school in the middle of March for spring break, hasn't been back. She gets to go one day a week now with our lunatic school district here one day a week all the sports have been canceled they were supposed to have homecoming last week and obviously that didn't happen she's in school one day a week with a mask on isolated it's not even by grade this is not how and for what reason again kids who are not vulnerable to this infection at all um and just to continue to keep our kids isolated and miserable, stripped of their rites of passages, uh, how many scholarships have been lost, either athletic or academic, kids who are counting on that, working on that their whole lives. Elderly people are still isolated in nursing homes. Their family members can't come and see that. This is cruel and humane. And it is. It is sickening that we are doing this to ourselves. Well, think about all of the um, regular people you know, the ones who aren't George Floyd or John Lewis, um, who didn't get to have funerals for their family members who died of this or or other diseases Mm -hmm. um, that that exceptions were made. They weren't forced to quarantine as it as the celebrities, political celebrities traveled back and forth over state lines. You know, if I were to go to New York, I would have to quarantine. Of course, I would don't want why would I want to go to New York? But 
but the point is that this is very much affecting poor people much more than it's affecting rich people. And that is what the left has always wanted to do is to break the middle class, to break the middle class and to have the people who are the elitists rule over the people who are not smart enough to make their, make their own decisions. Um, I wonder, I'm always trying to figure out what are the long-term consequences of this. Um, there's always some bounce back or consequences that don't seem immediately obvious. Like, mm-hmm. are what? How is this going to affect this generation of chill of kids, right? Who grew up, who are old enough to know? You know, I've I have friends with like two year olds, three year olds. They don't know what's going on. But like, you know, if you have an eight year old, nine year old teenager. Uh, you know, j- sophomore in high school, senior in high school. Yeah. What what is that? What is this going to do to them? Like, how will this the way that the dot b- bomb, the dot com bomb mm-hmm. affected people of that age that that of, in that generation or the the kids that are glued to the Internet because they all have iPhones right out of the womb? What will be the effect on our society, future society because of this? And it's if we have a country, you know, I don't I don't, I don't even know the rate. <laughs> yes. Don't be so optimistic. I you know. know this is no one will be. No around. optimism. I right. apologize profusely for my <laughs> optimism. Um, but it's really um, a terrible tragedy that this fear mongering has caused so many other calamities like people who have foregone healthcare treatment, people who aren't getting diagnosed with medical conditions. Mm-hmm. I heard somewhere people had put off like chemotherapy. Um, there's hospitals closed. How many hospitals had to close down? Because once you say that only people that can go to hospitals are people with the virus, all the other departments in a hospital, well, what do they do? What if you're an orthopedics? You know, those... Right. Those you have all these healthcare places that are now closing down. You have doctor's offices that are closing down because nobody wants to go to the doctor's office. And let's be honest, you know, telemedicine is good for some things. But certainly if you have something physically wrong with you, you you can't get a physical exam over telemedicine. So there's just going to be so many consequences to this. And I, I hope that my hope and again, I know we're not supposed to be hopeful here. It's not our style, but I really hope this wakes people up. I hope so, too. And Dr. Atlas talked about that also, aside from all of the health care consequences you're talking about, 130 million people around the world right now are at risk of starvation. We are going to see widespread famine because, as Dr. Atlas said, when the first world shuts down, we can kind of survive. But the third world that depends on us, who have no other resources, they are the ones who are really going to pay a cost, and you know it's sick and twisted, is on the left, that's fine. Because the fewer people on the earth, the happier the left is. So this is, you know, this works for their advantage too. And this is a fact. So nobody can say, oh, don't say that because it is. They want fewer people because they want to preserve the earth. The earth is their God. And so they don't. you don't hear anyone talking about that. So the repercussions we will be seeing for years, we're not even seeing how this is impacting state and city budgets or the federal budget for that matter. Think of all the lost revenue that towns across the country are dealing with. These college towns are dying. I mean, it's really sad. sad. That's sad, but also they brought it on themselves. You know, a lot of these cities are in trouble of their own making. You know, they're the ones that chose to, you know, go along with this. And it's like uh, going back to the debate last night. You have Kamala Harris at the same time talking about our broken economy. And yet, you know, they want to shut everything down. Biden wants to shut things down. Well, you can't have both. What do you think is going to happen? So you if you're going to shut down, if you're going to sign up for this. Then the consequences are that the the businesses in your city are going to go under. The people that live in your city are going to leave because they don't have any way to get the things that they need. You know, and you know, I know, Julie, you know, and I'm sure listeners know, people can't even rent U-Hauls to get the fuck out of New York fast enough. 
New York is constantly is is under a tight lock and key. I think they finally opened up restaurants like a couple weeks ago at something like 10% capacity. And the restaurant industry doesn't have a large profit margin anyway. It's not like that's not going to hurt them. I mean, they're making a, a, a small profit when they have full capacity at 10% or 25%. That's, that's just crazy. So th- a lot of these cities are reaping what they've sown. And I, have to say I'm very pleased with Trump for refusing to allow a bailout for any of these cities who are already in financial trouble before the virus hit. And you we missed that bit of news this week, too, amid the flurry of everything else, is that he tweeted out he wanted Senate Republicans to stop negotiating with Democrats till after the election on another covid stimulus bill, because, as you just point out, the Democrats want trillions of dollars. And this is what's coming if Biden wins and the Democrats take over the Senate. This is what's coming. We are talking three, four Five trillion dollar bailout of every blue state, including my state of Illinois, every Democrat city from New York City to Chicago to what? San Francisco, who L.A., Los Angeles is in trouble, Portland. I mean, you name it. We are going to be on the hook for bailing out because they can't. You you look at what's happening in my state of Illinois. There's no there's no way to get out of this hundreds of billions of dollars of pension debt that we have. There's there's no way. You can't tax. They, they're trying to tax us again in November, this prog- progressive tax. People are fleeing. So you can never tax enough people to make up what's happening in these bankrupt states like Illinois, New Jersey, uh, and I, Connecticut places and these cities. But this is what's coming. And this is why Trump is right to walk away from these negotiations. They were going nowhere anyway. I don't really trust Steve Mnuchin to, no, no. <laughs> to uh, uh, you know, argue on our behalf. I mean, he's going to do what's going to be best for the bankers. And yeah, so Trump was right um, to walk away from that. But I do think, Liz, they're not making enough of that. They're not telling people The Green New Deal, fine. A lot of people think that's imaginary. The greater fiscal threat is the bailout that the Democrats will sign off on immediately um, to uh, pull these states and cities temporarily out of bankruptcy. Yeah, I think that that's something the Trump campaign really needs to emphasize more. When he came out right after the hospital, allegedly, um, you know, completely full of mania from the common steroid, he's take he was given um right right treated to like hours of analysis of the of the common steroid steroids are commonly prescribed to people that have inflammation um it doesn't it doesn't make you crazy my cat has asthma she takes a steroid inhaler twice a day my male cat has allergies he gets a tiny bit of steroids every other day to control it they're not crazier than they were before um but but trump came out and said he's done negotiating with these people because it's not in good faith. And part of it is that Pelosi doesn't want a success for Trump. So she's willing to throw people under the bus, struggling businesses, small families, workers. She does not want to do that if if it gives Trump any kind of benefit. But the other part of it is that the president is not going to bail, does not want to bail out these cities and they're insisting on it. And you are right. I mean, that's what's going to happen if Biden if Biden wins, is that the first thing that they're going to do, we're probably going to lose everything, which means it's going to be, it's going to be like a fucking hellscape here. It is. Um, Get out. But anyway, um, they are going to bail out all these cities and it's not just Illinois. California has tremendous pension problems uh, before the virus and people are leaving California. People are leaving New York. People are going to, sadly, they're going to good places. Hopefully they won't ruin them. That's what they tend to do. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that if you work hard and pay your taxes so that that money can be used to bail out, you know, fiscally irresponsible politicians, then I'm not on board with that. And, you know, if these cities go under, then I don't know what to say. The people in them voted for the for their politicians. I mean, you voted for this. They should be forced to live there and suffer. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) 
Don't you agree, though? Shouldn't they have to? It's almost not fair that they can leave someplace like New York or the Upper East Side and be like, I'm moving to Texas. Right. They shouldn't be allowed to do that. I'm such a well, no, no, you're right. Um, But I mean, a lot. This is what's going to happen is you're already seeing that people leaving these states and going to, you know, richer environments that are led by Republicans so far. Um, But I would hope the people who are leaving will take the lessons with them to these red states and not try to repeat what happened in their state that they had to flee. (laughs) But um, But they always do. I mean, how do you think all these states turn purple or blue that were red? I mean, as you know, I'm from Nevada. I mean, we used to be a red state. Now we're a blue state. Um, Arizona, why are we fighting so hard in a state like Arizona? Um, they do go, they do infect it, but, and these people, they vote, this is who they want to govern their communities. They should need be forced to stay there and live under those conditions. It just doesn't seem fair that they should get a free, get, you know, a get out of jail free card. Um, news breaking on the wire right now, governor Northam, your governor, Ugh, um, not my governor. who is a mask freak, right? He wore masks before it was cool, Julie. He has mild cold-like symptoms and lost his sense of smell and probably has, uh, display, he's tested positive for COVID. Yeah, he's got Didn't it. He, he's got it. Um, with, he's, also, with, he's also been spotted without a mask at his vacation home and stuff. Like, it just like the other, like Pelosi, Cuomo, you know, the um, George Stephanopoulos, he's... Northam was caught without his mask gallivanting around. I'm sorry. You just want to add that in. Go ahead, Julie. Uh, no, no, that's so now he has symptoms, but this was not, how could this be? I mean, I obviously, like you said, he's, but the mask is a joke is the point. The mask is plenty of evidence now that it doesn't work. That actually can have the reverse effect more detrimental health, especially if you're wearing like one of those filthy reusable masks that, you know, you made out of whatever your Lily Pulitzer shirt. You bought it on on Etsy or something. And it's like, you've never washed it. And it's like a Petri dish. That's why they won't let you bring your own bags to the grocery store anymore. I mean, the environmentalists really took a hit on this because now it's all about disposable plastic because cloth, Cloth products are full of diseases. They they hold bacteria and filth in them. But, you know, all right. Right. But, I, I mean, I pretty sh- at one point we're going to learn that the masks are actually a vector for the disease instead of a barrier of it. So, um, and we haven't even gotten to other big news of the week, which is more declassification, more information coming out on I barely remember. I barely, I barely remember. You know, it's just because that Tuesday. Yeah, it was just yesterday or something. Where yeah, it was Monday and Tuesday. We got some more. Well, that was part of um, uh, Trump's uh, road uh, roid rage tweet storm was that he was going to order the declassification of all documents, which he did two years ago. We still haven't gotten them, but also pertaining to the Hillary Clinton email investigation. So time is running out. We have nothing from the John Durham investigation, infuriatingly so. Um, But we're getting more information out, confirmation that John Brennan, the former CIA director, did brief, brief, I use in air quotes, brief Barack Obama in August of 2016 about the Hillary Clinton concocted Russian collusion hoax. Um, And so we are just learning more and more for anybody who naively thought that Barack Obama was not the guy pulling all the strings on this. Obviously, he was um, and fully aware of it at the very least. So we're just learning more. We're trying to get more declassification of documents. Gina Haspel, uh, another terrible appointment, uh, head of the CIA, reportedly is refusing to release declassified documents in her possession because, of course, they belong to her, not to the American Country, people or the government right. or the president, God forbid. 
Um, just another terrible appointment. Don't know why she's still there. Have no idea why Chris Ray is still head of the FBI. Um, and now certainly I even have my doubts about our one-time boyfriend, Bill Barr, and what's happening you know, with the investigations. The big, the big problem is that when you are running for office and win as an outsider or I guess a populist kind of, uh, you do not have the resources of people to put into these jobs because almost by their very definition, these are people who are part of the government machine. And so I, I don't like Christopher Ray. I think he's awful, but really who, who would we, we can't put Rick Grinnell in every single job, you know, I (laughs) mean, can't, I mean, I know, but, but seriously, where, who, who are the people that he can, put into these jobs to execute the his agenda. They're, well, would, I mean, Ratcliffe, I think, is a good example of taking somebody out, you know, an ally out of Congress, wasting their time in Congress. And, you know, maybe that's what he needs to do if he wins is. Well, I think that's that's good. But remember, now we we have these assholes in the Senate that don't want to confirm Trump's appointments. Right. Right. So it's not it's not a partisan problem. It's a people that have power versus people who don't have power problem. So it's the industry of politics. The when Trump was elected and we had the House of Representatives, neither Paul Ryan nor Mitch McConnell would adjourn so Trump could put his recess appointments in. And that's what and that would be for 1 year because the Senate was holding up Trump's appointments. Well, how many times have we heard? Well, maybe you haven't, or maybe you have. You know, names would be floated, and then the next thing you hear, oh, they, they can't go, through, they can't get approved. Well, why? Right. We right. control the Senate. Why can't they get approved? Should be a no-brainer. We should have we, 24 hours. We should have everything filled already with Trump's people. But we, but we don't because the Senate didn't didn't do it, and because Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, at least at first, wanted to have total control over over Trump. And now I'm sure they still do. Um, they they still do. Although Paul Ryan, thank God, is is gone. And now we have the House of Representatives run by the likes of crazy Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler and, and so on. So um, I agree with you. I just think Trump was always in a bad position um, when he came in. He had to look to other people that he trusted or kind of trusted to get, tell him who who would be good for what position and those people themselves weren't trustworthy anyone who understands the ins and outs of how government works is probably an enemy and they're an enemy because they know how the ins and outs of government works because they're part of it so it's, and, it's and Haspel worked for John Brennan right she was oh my she god the London let me tell you Gina Haspel was the station chief for London that right. is like the most plum assignment anybody can get. You don't get that unless you are kissing up John Brennan's ass. And she was the state CI station chief when all these shenanigans were going on overseas with Carter Page and George Papadopoulos and the peculiar um, Stefan Halper um, spy being paid all this money on, on, you know, Pentagon at a Pentagon slush funds to hold up a phone while recording and say, do you have emails that about Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, you know, and this, this crappy spy business, Gina Haspel was there. Remember right. all this intelligence came from five eye sources really that kicked it off allegedly. So yes, she is, she's covering her ass just like Christopher Ray is covering his ass and the ass of the FBI. Yeah. It's, It's such a mess. The parties were reversed. If the parties were reversed, the Democrats would not hesitate one millisecond to burn down the entire institutions of all these places if they felt like it would give them some upper hand or political advantage. And here the here we have our people. Well, you know, we don't want to taint the FBI. We don't want to hurt the CIA. No, fuck get fucked. It's too late. Who right. can trust any of this anymore? I know I don't. Nope. If well, he wins, though, he's got to <laughs> just—he's got to sign executive orders in a flurry, just demolishing every single one of these agencies, every one, 
the Justice Department, the FBI, the DNA, burn all, just close down all of them, salt the earth and start over because that's the only hope we have in restoring these institutions at all. Well, on that cheery pleasant, note, pleasant note, um, thank you for joining us for our hour, our happy hour this week. And don't forget to subscribe. We are currently in the process of getting our podcast on iTunes. So we'll be, you'll be able to subscribe to iTunes soon, <laughs> maybe ne- by next week. But thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next Friday. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.